one of my good friends, uh, Pastor James Lynch, is here. Um, just to introduce uh, Pastor James Lynch, I met Pastor James several years ago. I heard from my friends that there was this white man planting Korean churches as I was getting into church planting uh, mode. This is pre-King's Cross. And I was like, I got to meet this white guy. I got to meet this white man who's planting churches and young Koreans are coming to these churches. And um, Lord led Pastor James into a different journey. He's still part of that movement. But out of that church plan, uh, they were able to plant another church. That church uh, merged with another church in heart of uh, Seoul, Itaewon, called SIBC, now known as Freedom Village. Um, he's one of my good friends in ministry. He, you know, whenever uh, we get into, we get stuck in ministry or we have questions, it's James and Joel. You'll meet Joel tomorrow. Uh, we get together over a meal. We complain. We share. We are honest. Uh, and we get to come around just more encouraged. But, you know, not only Pastor James is a great friend, but he's a wonderful preacher. You know, I... Don't get excited about too many preachers. I don't know. Maybe I'm arrogant or maybe I, seminary has jaded me. But really, whenever James uh, delivers, Pastor James delivers word, I get excited because I know this man loves God's word. And I know he has something really wonderful for us tonight. So are you guys excited? I won't, I won't preach another sermon about James. But here's James as he comes up. Oh, Pastor James uh, is married. Not a single man, even though he looks 20. Uh, he's, aged, he's aged quite a bit, he's doing bad. Uh, married to a wonderful wife named Kim. She teaches at Young Science International School. They also have a wonderful son, Eli, who is now four. Yeah, four. So here's Pastor James. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks for the kind introduction. I don't know how to always take that. You look 20. How do you say? Is that a compliment or is it an insult? I don't know. You never know with Slungman sometimes. Is it a compliment or an insult? You're not sure. I'm never sure. Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, really good to be with you guys. It's um, interesting. I uh, rely so much on like neighbor maps to get here and everything. And I just knew it was north. And I needed about 45 minutes to allot myself to get here. And, um, and so I was driving, and there's all this traffic in Guanghamun, and, you know, I'm like, I'm frustrated because um, there's, like, protests, and I'm like, you know, protests at a different time or whatever. And uh, really interesting, uh, <laughs> really interesting, though, um, was pulling up, and I'm like, oh, this place looks really familiar. I don't feel like I've been here before, you know, and I'm not trying to, like, over-spiritualize, but I'm like, is this a vision? Or, you know, or, what is this, you know? I think I've been here. And um, it was crazy, um, just at, like, the gate, um, there's all those, like, uh, you know, street food carts, and I'm like, I've been here before, and I, and I walked through, and um, sure enough, this is the exact same space. When I first came to Korea eight years ago, um, I came, and there was a small group of us, and I didn't know, you know, no Korean, nothing about Korea, never been to Korea, um, and I was here um, eight years ago. When I first got here, and we were talking about, like, what does it look like to, you know, plant churches in Korea, and that was a big topic here, and preaching, and I was like, wow, I just feel like I've, it's eight years ago, full circle, so much has changed, and um, grown in so many ways, and learned so many hard lessons, but anyway, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to, to be here with you guys, and uh, yeah, just, I don't know why that was, like, so significant to me, but I don't know, maybe that means God has something for us. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Um, 
always an honor to have the opportunity to teach from God's word. Um, tonight, I have been given the task of uh, teaching on the topic of, of prayer. Uh, prayer as, as a way of transforming our hearts and our minds. Uh, prayer as a, as a way of uh, rewiring ourselves uh, back to God and to the things of his uh, kingdom. Um, I don't think that this statement uh, will come as a surprise to any of us here, but um, let's be really honest before we even get started. Most of us um, just aren't that good at prayer. Um, I think I, I actually had the couple I could have chose from disciplines. I chose prayer because I'm not that good at prayer, actually. So I wanted to challenge myself first and foremost. Um, there's this book, if you haven't read it before, you should. It's called A Praying Life. Um, it's a book I recommend by Paul, uh, Paul Miller. And he says this in that book, um, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says this. He says, um, Western or American culture, which I think has permeated into Korean culture, especially international ministry, Western culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. Uh, we are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. Uh, we prize accomplishments and production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we are wasting our time. Every bone in our body screams when we pray, get to work. Um, I don't know about you, but that uh, hits home in, in so many different ways. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we need to pray. We know that prayer is important. I don't think I have to convince you of that, but there is so much, there is so much that wages war against our hearts that keep us from prayer. Um, and I, I thought about this quite a bit this week. You know, there are so many distractions, so many reasons we, we struggle to pray or uh, to, that we find prayer uncomfortable. But I believe the primary reason we fail to pray is that, uh, I'll say it this way, that we are actually allergic to our helplessness. Okay? We are allergic to our helplessness. Let me explain. You see... Prayer reveals that you and I are totally dependent on God. That there is nothing, nothing that we can do without him. Which means, which means, when we don't pray, we either don't want to confront the reality of our dependence, or we actually don't believe that we are totally in need. And so in my experience, personally, what what drives me to prayer, what, what keeps me uh, going, what keeps people in general praying is when we come to see our inability to control our lives. When we, when we get to a place where we actually believe, truly believe that we are helpless, that we are dependent. I hope that makes, makes sense. See, as, as long as we are living under the illusion and it's an illusion that we are strong, independent, that we can muster the strength to live our lives on our own, that we are in control. We will not pray. And that's why so many of us don't. We might not ever say it like that, but if we were to uncover all of our hearts this evening, I believe that's what we would find in so many of us, including myself. This subtle 
or perhaps very strong delusion that we are strong and in control, when in reality we are so far from it. And so, in a very real sense, uh, pray, uh, prayer communicates and shows uh, that I believe, that I've come to the understanding, that I trust that I'm not as self-sufficient as I think I am. It shows that I am in need of what only my creator can provide. Prayer reveals that this life is not about what I can do, but about who he is and what he is able to do. So in that, uh, let me just say, before we jump into God's word, uh, prayer is hard. Uh, it, it takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes perseverance. Um, it's often awkward. It's often uncomfortable. And there are so many times when we go to pray and we just feel empty. I don't know about you. Where, where we either just don't want to pray or, sometimes worse, we get to the point where we're willing to pray, but we have no idea what to pray. And so what do we do in those times? Well, uh, my strong encouragement to you is to learn from the prayers in the Bible, and that's exactly what we're going to do uh, this evening. And we're going to look at one particular prayer uh, from the Apostle Paul that's found in Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And though this prayer is short, very short, um, I truly believe it has the ability to help us reinvigorate our prayer lives and encourage us once again to be people who are devoted to the discipline of prayer. And so let's read this prayer together, and then we'll consider Paul's words from there. This is the word of the Lord. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the question that we're going to be wrestling with here from this text is, um, Simply this, how can we reboot our prayer lives and become a praying people? How can we become a praying people maybe once again or for the very first time? And the first thing I see from this text is this, that if we want to reboot our prayer lives, become people of prayer, consistent prayer, we need to be people who pray in light of the gospel. That's number one. Pray in light of the gospel. Uh, to become praying people... I believe we need to begin by looking at what Paul says about the gospel. Um, but before we look at our specific passage here, um, let us consider the, the context of Philippians here. If you have your Bible or your phone open, I, I hope that you do. It won't be on the screen. Um, as you scan through this entire section here in Philippians chapter 1, you might notice that the term, the gospel, pops up over and over and over again. Uh, we know Paul was clearly a gospel-centered man. Track with me here. Uh, again, it's not on the screen. Philippians 1, verse 5, it says this. He talks about partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, he says, You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In verse 16, I am put here for defense of the gospel. And then verse 27, he tells the church, let your manner of life be worthy of, here it is again, the gospel. 
he goes on, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith, the faith of the gospel. And, and keep in mind who his audience is. Paul is talking to the church here okay, about the gospel. He's not talking to non-believers. Right? Now, we know from all of Paul's writings that he was deeply committed to the spread of the gospel. Right? Like in Romans 1, he writes in verse 1 that he has been set apart for the gospel of God. And then in verse 15 of that same chapter, he tells them that he is eager to preach the gospel to them. Or likewise, in Ephesians 6, 19, he tells them that he is eager, eager, uh, looking forward to proclaiming the mysteries of the gospel. Or in 1 Corinthians 1, that Christ has sent me, he says, to preach the gospel to you. All of these are written, again, to who? To Christians, followers of Christ. And there are so many more examples of this. And so the question for us is, why does Paul and the New Testament talk about the gospel so much? Why are there so many reminders of the gospel, especially to followers of Jesus, Christians who have received the gospel? Well, um, what is the gospel? Okay, Let me give you one brilliant man's thought on the gospel. This is William Tyndale. If you haven't heard of him before, you should. He was the first person to translate the entire Bible to English uh, in the 1500s. He was actually martyred for doing that very thing. He defined the gospel this way. He says, Evangelion, which we call the gospel, is a word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news. That does what? Makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and Leap for joy. I think that's a, a wonderful definition. But what is that joyful news? What's this joyful news? What would, what would actually make a man sing? Um, what would make a man dance? What would make a, a man leap for joy? What's this announcement? Well, it's the good news of what God has accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? We, we know this. Okay, we know this, but... It's worth reminding us. It's the news that, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God saves sinners and makes them sons and daughters forever. That in Jesus, God is not against us, he's for us. That in Jesus, we are entirely forgiven, made citizens of his kingdom. It's the news that our debt is paid, that we are declared righteous, that we are adopted into God's forever family. It's the news that we have been freed from all condemnation, rescued from Satan's rule. It's the news that we are now indwelt with, filled with, empowered by the Holy Spirit, given access to the living God. It's the great news, the marvelous mystery that we now belong to him forever. And we get in on all of this, we inherit, achieve all of this through faith in Christ alone, a living trust in Jesus alone, not because of anything we could ever do, not because of anything we have done, but all because of what he has accomplished on his own. And now you understand why this news would make a person sing, dance, and leap for joy. So you see, Paul reminds the church of the gospel because, because it is joyful news that needs reminding, but also, listen to me, also because the gospel actually affects everything including our prayer life. You see, 
because of all that Jesus has done for us, we now know that we have direct access to this living God of the universe in prayer. And so the gospel literally makes prayer a reality. It makes prayer a possibility. Without the gospel, without the work of Jesus Christ, without his grace, there is actually no access to the Father. We also know that the gospel provides us with not just access, but comfort in prayer. You see, we know in Jesus, God is our good Father, who actually, as crazy as this is, actually wants to hear from his kids. He is not cruel and unkind. When we go to him in prayer, we're, we're not wasting his time. His intentions towards us are always good, only good, which means that we can come to him. We are free to come to him with messy, stumbling, uh, stuttering words. We can come to him with lots of questions, knowing that we are secure, knowing that we are his. And, and the gospel also brings us confidence in prayer because we know that that the God we belong to is not limited in any way whatsoever. He is perfect in goodness, infinite in, in power, and immeasurable in wisdom, which means, which means we can pray big, bold prayers, knowing that he can do anything that we ask that is in accordance to his will. Not only that, we know the gospel also brings us joy in prayer because it reminds us that this God with whom we belong is infinitely wise, and he will always do what is best with our prayers. He might not always answer the way we want, but we are assured through the gospel that he will always listen and do what is best with those prayers. God hears you and will do what's best for you, and that should bring us great joy when we pray. And lastly, through the gospel, we know there's great freedom there's great freedom in prayer that, yes, we lack, right? We fall short. We are weak, right? It's who we are. It's our identity. Depraved, sinful, guilty, but we have nothing to prove to God because of the gospel. We don't approach him based on merit, but once again, based on the merit of his son. And so that means that we can be ourselves before him that we don't actually need to pretend. Uh, we don't have to use like the right uh, super holy voice, right? You know, those old school like Baptist preachers, right? We don't have to do that. We can go to him as people who have been set free because we are free. And so listen, when, when, it, when we come to terms with the gospel, understanding that all, all that God is and all that he has achieved for us, it actually totally transforms our prayer life. Because it tells us that we have access, that we have great comfort, confidence, joy, and freedom in prayer, none of which is possible apart from the good news of the gospel. And so for me, this is the first clear step to rebooting your prayer lives, to sort of reinvigorating your walk with the Lord. We need to start here, praying once again in light of the gospel simply meditating on who God is. We, we, we think about his character. We let those transformational truths warm our hearts. And then from there, we, 
we think and pray through the many implications of that gospel. Right? Maybe in a practical way, you could even start by just writing all the things that you could think of that are true of you now by faith in Jesus Christ. It's incredible. There's no better way to begin prayer. Recall who God is. And in light of that, recall who you are in Christ. Number two, number two, uh, if you want to reboot your prayer life, pray for what is excellent. Not only do we pray in light of the gospel, the Apostle Paul tells us to pray for what is excellent. We have finally, finally uh, now reached the prayer itself. We dive into the actual prayer. Paul says here, once again, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve, here it is, what is excellent. This is, um, if you study uh, Paul's writings, this is classic Paul here. It's just this big, wordy, run-on sentence that doesn't stop, okay? Um, he's grammatically incorrect all over the place, on purpose, by the way. But there are really three movements to this prayer that Paul gets at, and it's really not that complicated. So notice with me, at first glance, it looks like what Paul is doing here, and maybe you've made this assumption, that Paul is just praying for our love here. He's praying for our love. He says, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more. But when you read it more closely, what you see is that it's, it's not just about abounding in love for itself, but that this abounding love should lead us somewhere. That's where he's, what he's praying about here, right? He says that this abounding love would lead us to approve what is excellent. Or maybe the translation in front of you says, would, uh, to approve what or discern what is best. So he is praying that our love would grow for a very specific reason. You see that there? He's not just saying that he hopes our love would overflow for, for love's sake, that we'd be loving people, although that's important. He's saying, but I want it to grow, that love to abound for a very specific reason. And that reason is that we would be able to approve what is excellent. And so what's actually going on here? Well, Paul is getting at a very simple but profound truth here. That what we love, what we love in the depths of our being profoundly influences how we live our lives. Or to make it very personable for you, he's saying here, what you love in your depths in this season of life will profoundly influence how you live in this season of life. That's what he's saying. See, we all know this. Paul knows this. What you admire, what you treasure, what you desire in the depths of your being affects every single daily decision that you make. That's exactly what Paul is getting at here. And notice he is, he is praying that this love would abound with knowledge and discernment. And so, this is a, spe a special quality of love. And it's, it's not the sentimental, emotional, mushy, like the movie-type love. That's not here. This is love marked with knowledge of God, knowledge of the gospel. It's love that's marked by wisdom and discernment, which is to say it's, it's love that's marked by seeing what's best in life's various situations and circumstances. So for to bring all of this together this evening... Paul's saying this is this, 
this beautiful Christian love that's marked by, characterized by, this knowledge of God, that's the gospel again, and insight, wisdom into how life works best. That's the kind of love he is praying would abound, overflow in the depths of our being. And when this love is growing in us, when this love is abounding, overflowing from us, it will always transform our daily decisions. It will always transform our interactions. You'll know how to discern and live in a way that will help you to flourish. You'll have a heart that's aligned with God's values, a heart that's aligned with God's priorities, that as his love grows, his thoughts actually become our thoughts, his ways become our ways. And so even in gray areas of life, Paul's saying, if you are actually abounding in the love of God, you will be able to discern each and every situation of your life. You'll know how to best spend your time. You'll know what you should be reading. You'll know what relationships you should be investing in. You'll know how to best approach your workplace. You'll know how to better steward your money. You'll know how best to use your gifts that are God-given. And of course, of course, his whole point, you'll know best how to pray. I love this prayer because it actually, it doesn't deal with the surface. It goes straight to our innermost beating, being, to the heart. To reboot your prayer life, pray for this love, Paul says, that it would abound with, with greater knowledge of God, greater understanding of the gospel, and a greater insight into how life works so that you'll be able to approve what is excellent as you go about your days and live your life. And then third, and I have four of these, by the way. Third, if you want to be a praying person, if you want to be driven to your knees day in, day out, the rest of your life, you want to do that effectively, number three, pray with the day of Christ in view. I think that's so clear here in Philippians 1. We need to be people who pray with the day of Christ in view. Paul goes on, again, it's the same sentence, by the way, to run on. He says, and so be pure and blameless, here it is, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So he begins, Paul begins by talking about this abounding love that is anchored in a growing knowledge of God, growing in, in our insight into how life works, how it works best, that manifests itself into discerning what is best so that, to what end? To what purpose? So that, he says, so that our lives are filled with fruit. Right? Abound with love so that, so that you live a fruitful life. That's what this is about. He is praying for them, the church at Philippi, but also in turn praying for us, the body of Christ, that we would have fruit-filled lives on the day of the Lord. That is, when Jesus Christ returns for us, his church. Now, the, the easy mistake in this text would be uh, to think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, threatening us here. Uh, like he's saying to us, you better be sure to have fruit because Jesus is coming soon. Um, that's actually not here in the text. There's warnings elsewhere. But um, that's not what he's doing. This is a complete encouragement. It's meant to cheer us on. Uh, he says, 
live each day with Jesus' return in view. That's the bottom line of what he's saying. Live your life as if Jesus is coming soon. Pray as if Jesus is coming soon. Pray because Jesus is coming soon. The, the future is not open-ended. right? The, the day of Christ is coming. The, we know this as the church, that the turning point of human history is right around the corner. It might be tonight. right? It could be tomorrow. And that reality should affect, affect how we see life how we see ourselves, and certainly how and why we pray. You see, if the future is just this big, open uh, nothingness, right? if, if the earth and the universe is just, let's say, un unwinding down, right? if, there is, if there's nothing after all of this, there is actually not a lot of motivation to pray, right? There's really no good reason to pray. But knowing, being assured that Jesus Christ is returning soon, knowing that we are guaranteed that we are on our way home, going back to him, changes, transforms how we pray. But it also gives us a reason to actually pray in the first place. Because all of this means is that you and I actually have purpose. The day of the Lord tells us this, that our lives have significance, that there is a God to know, but there is also a God to be known by. And his desire for us is that we would pursue holiness, that we would go after blamelessness. He, he wants us to live in accordance with his will and his ways for his kingdom, for his purposes. And so we are told to pray towards those ends towards that return, with that in view. So Paul tells us here, until Jesus comes, pray for fruit. Pray that you would live your life more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. And pray with this confidence, this assurance, that Jesus is once again coming back. That you would be found spotless and blameless before the throne. And then finally, if we want to reboot our prayer lives, if we want to reinvigorate our souls, rewire ourselves back to the things of the kingdom, number four, we have to pray with God as the center. Pray with God as the center. Paul ends his prayer with these words. To the glory and praise of God. It's really easy to pass by these words. Oh, don't. Never skip the intro of any of Paul's letters. Grace and peace to you from our Father, Lord Jesus. That's the gospel. Every single time, he's sharing the gospel, what sets us apart. Never skip how he closes his letters either. To the glory and praise of God. It's a reminder of not just who God is, who we are, but our purpose. Uh, we have to see the full weight of this. But what's being said here, because what's being said here is actually central to the life of prayer. Uh, Paul is revealing to us here, why he actually is willing to pray in the first place and why we should be praying people too. Maybe we should have started here. <laughs> it would have maybe been more beneficial, but we're not going to. What is prayer? Right? If I'm going to do a sermon on prayer, maybe you should know what is prayer. Uh, well, it's simply put, we know it's simple. It's right. It's communing with God. It's communing with the creator. It's walking with the central glory of the universe. 
walking alongside of him, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's going back to that place. It's not just a mere routine. It's not just, uh, just discipline. This is how you develop an actual relationship with the Lord. And so it's so important to think of prayer in this way. Prayer, praying is not just something you do. It's a relational belonging, actually. It's not something you do. It's a relational belonging. And because that is true, we must fight, not for just ourselves, but as a church, to not see prayer as an activity and to truly focus on the one to whom we are praying. Prayer is cultivating a relationship. It's, it's communication, just like you would cultivate any significant relationship in your life. So as you approach prayer, know that we do not pray just to merely get things, right? We pray to remind ourselves what we actually have obtained in the person of Jesus Christ, namely Jesus Christ himself. And I think typically when our prayer lives dissolve, when our prayer lives become cold, for me, when my prayer life becomes rigid and routine, it's because I have lost sight of who I'm actually praying to. So if you're in that place now, if you find yourself in that place, remember that this is our, this is our friend. This is our help in need. The, the scriptures tell us this is our rock, our, our mighty fortress, our deliverer. He's the Lord. He's our, our creator, our sustainer. This is the, the father who actually loves, once again, to hear the voice, the cries, the laments of his, his children. This is the one, the one who is always ever-present and near to you. He's close. He's, he's listening. He desires deep fellowship with you. He wants to see your face. If you are in Christ, you are known and loved by God. That's what's true of you in the gospel. So go to him and again understand what an amazing honor and privilege we have because of the gospel. We actually get to pray. We get to pray. We have the opportunity to pray. So let me ask you this evening, it's a simple question. How's your prayer life? And with that, what does your current prayer life say about your dependence on God and your desire to know him? I'm sure the majority of us here have heard of C.S. Lewis, the Narnia guy, right? <laughs> like he's not written anything else. <laughs> he's written a lot. <laughs> Okay. Uh, if you don't, look him up. Uh, but I love, I just love what he, he said about prayer. It's profound, simple, so impactful, so convicting. He says this, I pray, former atheist, by the way, I pray because I, I just can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. Is that, is that how you see yourself? Is that how you view your, your life? Do, do you even feel like you, you need to pray? Listen, if you, if you want to live a, a transformed life that actually has impact for his, his kingdom, you, you need to pray. And if we want to see God 
move. In this gathering, uh, in, our, in our city, once again, collectively, together as the church, we, we need to commit ourselves to just simply this, pray. Just, just pray. I, um, I tell our gathering at Freedom Village all the time. I tell them this all the time, and I want to tell you the same, same thing. Nothing, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. Nothing. Nothing of eternal significance. You might achieve great things in your life. You might get a name for yourself. You might have great means and live a comfortable life. You might find levels of happiness. You might have significance here on this earth, but nothing apart, nothing of eternal significance, nothing with kingdom significance ever happens apart from prayer. Nothing. In the depths of our souls, actually, what's interesting is all of us know that to be true. We resonate with that truth. And so the simple, again, the simple charge is let's devote ourselves then to prayer. Not because, again, not because we have to, but because through the gospel we get to. Let's be people who pray then in light of that gospel. Let's be people who pray for what is excellent. People who pray with with the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in mind. And who, and who pray with God as the center, understanding our, our position before him, understanding our need and dependence on him, that we would pray and actually remove ourselves when we pray, remove ourselves from the center of our lives and place him there. That when we go to the throne, we wouldn't find ourselves sitting there on that throne. Because we so desperately want that seat. But that when we approach God, we, we could even visualize this. That we would we'd see ourselves getting up from off of that seat. And saying, Jesus, have your rightful place before me in my life. I bow down to you. Helpless, hopeless but with new purpose because of you. And as we do, as we do that, let's, let's actually expect, expect that the Lord would answer. That, that not only will he listen, but he actually will answer. And let's, through that, let's expect our, our hearts and our minds to be transformed, <laughs> renewed. Amen? Let's be a people who pray. Actually, John, can you, can you come? Can you come? And if the worship need, team needs to do that, that's fine too. Come. Let's just, we need to pray. <laughs> It'd be a, uh, not a worthwhile message on prayer if we didn't pray. Let's practice what we preach. <laughs> we have the opportunity the opportunity to pray. We have the privilege, the blessing, 
to be able to pray. Uh, my heart for you is that as you do, though, um, here's my ask of you. My ask of you is that in this time of prayer, don't ask. Just be. Be with God. Tell him once again who he is. And tell yourself, remind yourself once again who you are in light of the gospel. Speak the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. And watch and see how that invigorates your soul. Sets the fire aflame to your spirit once again. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, we humbly come before your throne. We ask you today to simply help us, help us to, to once again, or maybe for the very first time, to become a, a person, a people of, of prayer. Help us, gracious King, to not see prayer as a mere activity, but as a vital means of communing with you of walking with you, of trusting you, leaning on you, depending on you, and loving you. Jesus, remind us of the simple truth once again that, that we need you. Every day, every hour, we, we need you. Jesus, we come before you with with empty hands, with nothing to bring except for ourselves. So would you hear us? Would you receive our lives as a living sacrifice to the things of your kingdom? We acknowledge tonight, Lord, our our failure to, to be in consistent communion with you and, and to even see our need for that end. We confess that reality. We believe we don't need you. We live our lives as if we don't need you. Forgive us. Forgive us, King Jesus. Humble us once again. Thank you, God, that when we turn from ourselves, when we turn from this world, when we turn from our sin, what we see is a God who welcomes us back with open arms. Let us be willing to run back into those arms again, knowing that there is fullness of joy, peace, grace, love, kindness, mercy in those arms. We're here for you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Take your rightful place in our hearts and our lives once again. Transform us from the inside out.
It's in your beautiful name we pray.